I want to start today, I'm not going to give you a chance for a five-minute meet and greet because you sang to me and you wasted all your time. So, <laughs> so I want to start a series that's going to last for the next three weeks. And uh, the title of the series is Attitudes and Emotions. Attitudes and Emotions. And the, and the topic I want to approach today as we launch this is my attitude informs my journey. My attitude informs my journey. Uh, I have been led this direction because in a time of prayer that I've been having recently with the Lord, my questions to him have been, I need you to reveal to me personally what it is that seems to cap me at certain levels of spiritual growth in some areas. Have any of you ever asked God that? To give him permission to indicate to you what it is in your life that seems to have capped you at certain levels of spiritual growth. And I don't know if that prayer comes out of frustration for what we're going through or just a desire to have a greater, more intimate, in-depth relationship with God to see what He can do as we begin to yield more and more of our life and nature to Him. But one of the things that God began to deal with me about was that some of the things that may cap us as individuals, and certainly I fall into this category, is the attitudes in which we approach life and each other and certainly God. And I'm going to be using as a theme verse this week or for this series, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And the scripture simply says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, as we approach your word this morning, and especially as it deals with something so deeply ingrained within each of us as our attitudes. Oh, Father, how I ask that through the work of your Holy Spirit, you would begin to walk with us through the journey of our life, our emotions, our being, and that you can begin to point with the help of your Holy Spirit to areas of our life where we have maxed out our growth because our attitude does not allow you to do anything further in us there. And Lord, if we bring you to places where we have locked doors to you, I ask that out of humble obedience we might release to you the keys so that the doors that you are knocking on in our life, that we would open them to you and that you could bring healing and growth to areas that we thought were going to be impossible. And I pray your blessing on this word as you apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the first thing that I have to ask you to do. I do not want you to sit here during this series and think, oh, I'm so glad so-and-so is listening to this. (laughs) You must be able to approach the word as, God, what are you saying to me? Not how am I going to apply this to my husband or my wife or my children or anybody else that I think may need this. And I'm going to encourage you that if somebody is not here today that you think may benefit, that you would not call them and say, boy, do you need to hear what was just preached Sunday. Because by doing so demonstrates that we have an attitude that has capped us, that God needs to begin to do a work within our own life in. There are two words within this verse that we're using kind of as our theme verse that are essential for us to understand. And these words are conformed and transformed. One is a command not to do, and the other is a command to do. 
If you were to take a look at the Greek words uh, of, of each of these, the word conformed means that we are stuffed into a mold and begin to take on in our nature its shape. Now, I went downstairs in our kitchen today to look to see if there was a bunt cake pan because I can think of nothing that might fit that better than for those of you that are bakers and you pour uh, the cake mix into that and then it placed, you place it into an environment that locks that into a certain shape so that when you pour it out, that shape takes hold and stays with it until we devour it. There is this sense in our life that the world constantly is forcing us into conforming to a mold that we are not made for. And so when the scripture indicates to us that we are not to be conformed, it means that we must be very, very cautious in the situations that we allow ourselves into so that we do not begin to take on the mold of worldly attitudes that would shape us in some permanent ways. The scripture then goes on to say that we are to be transformed. And the Greek word for transformed, we get our word metamorphosis from. It means to be radically changed by a process. God says our lives need to be radically changed and that that takes place the moment that we yield ourselves to him in relationship, the moment that he becomes our savior, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, come into our life, there is a radical transformation that becomes available to you at that instant that will transform the way that you think about life and about God. So to start this series, I want to talk to you about your attitude. Because your attitude is a major factor in the way that we respond to the circumstances of our life. Your attitude will either open doors for God to transform you, or your attitude will close the door, and you will forever remain locked into a mold that you may not like. In fact, our attitude becomes a contributor or an inhibitor to the transforming work of God within my life. So what do I mean by attitude? How many of you know we, we know what an attitude is? Have any of you ever seen anybody with an attitude? Four of you. Attitude is an outward reflection of our internal emotions. So if we're dealing with anger or frustration or indifference or disrespect or disappointment or apathy or cynicism or contempt or dependence or rebellion, those negative emotions that churn in our life will work their way out and the first way we notice them is in facial expressions that demonstrate our attitudinal abilities. Now, how many of you are great facial expression communicators? How many of you are expert, world-class eye rollers? Oh, yeah. How many of you know that that demonstrates an attitude of the emotion that, and, and here's what happens. Some of your kids roll their eyes at you all the time. And you'll look at them and say, what did you say? <laughs> and they'll say, I didn't say anything. Oh, baloney. <laughs> there is an attitude that shows itself within our facial expressions. On the positive side of that, if you have peace and satisfaction and fulfillment, or if you're excited or you have joy or thankfulness, those 
positive emotions will work their way out of your attitude as well. And we begin to recognize this, that we are all people of attitude. Some people's attitudes may be different than yours, but we all demonstrate attitudes. And so we know our attitudes reflect the emotions. Our face displays the first symptoms of the attitude that we have. And there is simply no way for us to overestimate the importance of our attitude in our life as it relates to our happiness, as it relates to our success, as it relates to our spiritual growth and every area of your life. We are influenced by attitudes all the time. In fact, individuals have attitudes. Every one of us has an attitude. Not only that, but how many of you know families have attitudes? There are certain attitudes that, that follow family members around. How many of you know churches have attitudes? I pray for our church attitude all the time. And I recognize that it starts here and it starts within our pastoral staff and, and it begins to work its way out. But we have declared to the world that this is a community of hope that welcomes people home. So as a result of that statement, we either embrace that and have an attitude of welcoming or, or we're hypocrites. But churches have attitudes. In fact, any guest that's here within seven minutes, it's determined whether or not they will ever come back. And so oftentimes, before you even say a word, the attitude of, an, of a place has already begun to demonstrate itself. How many of you know businesses have attitudes? My wife and I, after we had been elected here, knew that we needed to move to this side of town from Baldwinsville. And so we had done some checking. In fact, we found a, a new development that was being built. And we said, you know what, we really like it. It's not too far from the church. So we went there on a Saturday morning to pick out a lot and already knew the house that we wanted built on it. And as we went into the office, we were greeted by a young salesman that had a bad attitude. It was so bad that it didn't take us very long to not only change our mind about doing business with that business, but we didn't want anything to do with that land or that development, and we walked out. That man may never know that his attitude robbed him of some business, and yet each of us have been through that. We've walked into places and we've come in contact with people representing companies whose attitude absolutely shut the door for you to want to do anything with them. So maybe you know of somebody right now or maybe it's even you that you would admit that you are struggling with a bad attitude. Have you thought that maybe what is driving that bad attitude is an emotion or an event that you have just locked away and have not been paying attention to it that God wants to begin to unlock that door and bring it out so he can transform you. All you know is that something is going on on the inside of you, and without being able to help it, you reflect it on the outside. In the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 51, there is this great illustration of attitude that is demonstrated in a passage of Scripture. The Bible tells us that as time approached for him, him being Jesus, he was going to be taken up into heaven, that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In other words, he was on a journey, he was going to Jerusalem, but it was going to take him longer to get there than he could get in one day. And so he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. Now before I go any farther in this, what you need to know is that the Samaritans were a splinter group of Jews... Uh, and they were at odds with the rest of the Jewish people. They did not hold to their traditions. And though they claimed to be Jews from the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, they rejected all of the things that the Jewish people stood for. 
They were idolaters, they were secular, uh, they were non-traditional, and as a result of that, the Jewish people who held to all these traditions just held them at arm's length. It was like, it was like the, the crazy uncle that we all have that we don't want to claim as part of our family. That was kind of where the Samaritans would fit into this. And so Jesus said, I want you to go into this village of the Samaritans and make arrangements for me to stay there. And we get to verse 53, and it says, but the people there, the Samaritans, did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. In other words, the first bad attitude that we come to in this is the Samaritans that felt offended that Jesus wasn't making their village his destination. And because he's going to Jerusalem, then you're not staying here. Bad attitude. First one we see right out of this. And it then says, when the disciples James and John saw this, they developed a bad attitude too. Now, here's what struck me about this. I can understand this if this was James and Peter. This is James and John. This is John, the one that Jesus loves, good-natured, puts his head on his chest, wants to always be hugged. You know, I'm sure physical touch was John's love language. You know. This is John. He's peaceful. And the bad attitude of the Samaritans jumps right in his face because he comes back. After having come in contact with him, which indicates to me that none of us are immune to having bad attitudes jump on our face. And so here's what he says. Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? This is, this is John. That is a bad attitude right there. And we get to verse 55, and Jesus turned and rebuked them. I would have loved to have heard that. Jesus is saying, your attitude, man, really, really stinks. Just because you were rejected, you let a bad attitude affect you. And he says, don't you know the kind of attitude that I'm come from? My spirit reflects the kind of spirit that you should have. And your spirit, because I live within you, should be that I did not come to destroy lives. I came to save them. And so Jesus simply said, we're not going to let the bad attitude of the Samaritans wreck us. We're going to just go to another village. And out of this situation, there are two questions that begin to arise for each of us that we need to answer today. Am I approaching life with a worldly attitude or a godly attitude? And is the attitude of my heart conformed to the emotions and circumstances that I am living in? Are they being transformed daily by the power of the God that lives within me? Is it worldly or is it godly? Am I being conformed or transformed? Because is there a difference in the attitude that you have the way you face life since you have come to know Christ. Because if not, then today I want the Lord to begin to lift the cap off your attitude so that your growth can begin to take off again. If you have remained in a worldly attitude while you claim to belong to Christ, then what is happening is that you are a poor reflection of Christ and what he wants to bring across to the world. John Maxwell wrote in a book titled The Winning Attitude, and here's what he said about it. Attitude is the advance man of our true selves. Attitude's roots are inward, but its fruits are outward. Attitude is our best friend or our worst enemy. Attitude is more consistent and honest than our words. Attitude is the thing that draws people to us or repels people away from us. Attitude is never content until it is expressed. And listen to this, because this is a powerful statement. Attitude 
is the librarian of our past, it's the speaker of our present, and it's the prophet of our future. Our attitudes determine our success and happiness in life more than your giftedness, more than your opportunities, and more than your circumstances. Our attitude affects the journey that we are on with Christ and what he can do in our life. So if you have a bulletin, there are three quick points that I want to point out to you today. And if you want to jot down some notes, you can do that. The first one is this. Attitude is our choice. Attitude is our choice. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish prisoner in the Auschwitz concentration camps in Germany in World War II. His mother was killed by the Nazis. His wife and brother died in the concentration camps. And his sister was the only family member who survived. And in the midst of all of the suffering and all of the tra tragedy and watching everything that he had experienced, he made a decision while he was still in those camps that he would not let the circumstances of being a prisoner affect his attitude. He said, I choose to be happy and I choose not to hate the Nazis no matter what they do to me or no matter what they've done to my family. He says later on, it was the difference in life and death for me he lived until 1997. He became an author, a motivational speaker, a neurologist, and a psychiatrist. And he made the choice not to allow the external circumstances define the internal issues of his life. He determined that he would have a transformed attitude because he knew how easy it would have been to be pushed into a form to conform to the world. And he says everybody can choose their attitude regardless of the circumstances. So who or what is influencing your attitude? You have a choice. You can choose an attitude that is different than the people around you. You can choose an attitude that is different than the circumstances you're facing. But who or what are you allowing to influence your attitude? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 31 and 32 says this. Do not envy a violent man... Or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man. Or the Lord detests people with bad attitudes. But he takes the upright into his confidence. Now those of you that are parents recognize quickly. That our children can begin to absorb the attitude of the friends that they are around. You can begin to recognize it. We pray as God's people that our children likewise will influence the others that they are around and that somehow they can be a good influence. But some of you have made determinations of who your children can no longer be around because of the attitude of the nature that they come back with after that. That is something that we do because we are good parents. But Proverbs is telling us that this is not a child problem. This is a human problem. That those of us who are older, if we hang around people with a bad attitude long enough, it will affect you and begin to be reflected in your attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Or bad company corrupts good morals. Today, we can choose our attitude. Maybe you're dealing with some internal emotions that are going on on the inside and you're wondering how am I going to be able to bring these things to the Lord so that he can 
take these from me and begin to transform me by his work. And I want you to know all things are possible to them that believe. God has that power. And so we want the reflection of God to come out of our lives. And if we do, then we have to choose the right attitude. If we've allowed our emotions or internal issues to keep us captive, then you have capped your ability to grow on your journey with God until he can be at work within your attitude. Secondly, attitudes have consequences. God responds to our attitudes. He rewards good attitudes. He disciplines bad attitudes. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. How many of you love that word discipline? Wow. One of you. I don't like that word. I don't like what it means. But I know it's needed. He said, Endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as children or sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everybody undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Now, I grew up in a day and age when spanking was not illegal. And various instruments were used, everything from wooden spoons to belts to switches. And we didn't know back then that discipline was a bad word. My parents didn't get that. But here's the one thing that for those of you that grew up in my generation, you probably heard. My dad said this often because the dad was generally the disciplinarian. Mom would catch me and say, wait till your dad gets home. And then she would tell dad, and dad would take me into the room, and he would say these famous words, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> I remember at 27 being spanked. No, I'm just <laughs> I remember at one time, I don't know what, what age, when I begin to put this logically together and ask him, then why is only one of us crying <laughs> when you were done? Uh, and for those of you listening online, I'm not promoting discipline one way or the other. I'm just saying that there were a generation of us that learned the values of our family because they were taught to us with discipline. But there's a logic and a progression here. We who are parents demonstrate to our children that they are loved by providing discipline. There is a conforming thought in the world today that the best way you can love your children is let them do whatever they want, let them think whatever they want, let them grow up and create their own identity. In fact, there's some people out there that are telling you, you don't even need to call them a boy or a girl, let them decide for themselves. How stupid are we? You as parents determine the values that your children will grow up with and you discipline them in such a way that they learn these are the attitudes by which we will live as a family. In the progression of this, God tells us that you and I will not escape his discipline. Some of the things that you're going through and if you see them repeating, it's because you didn't learn the lesson. That he disciplines us in order so that he can grow us and take the cap off our ability to grow and learn and develop the values and convictions that are part of his family that never happen without his direct intervention within our lives. Now, children should be growing holier as they grow wiser as well. Now, my grandchildren are almost perfect, <laughs> but not quite and out of respect for all of them, I won't name names, but one of our grandchildren was at our house with their family, and 
they were behaving in such a way that their father felt that this was an attitude that was less than flattering to them as parents and did not fit within the culture and the values that they were building into their home and it needed to be directly addressed. And so uh, the father took the child into another room and sat down with them and told them, your behavior is intolerable and it will not be within this family. What you are going to do is you're going to straighten up and you're going to apologize first to me and then you're going to go in and apologize to your grandparents and then you will be allowed back into the family festivities. It was a great speech. (laughs) And that grandchild, when confronted by their father, and he said to them, are you ready to apologize? Oh, I love watching this. A head shake, no. And the battle of wills began. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Any of you like that as kids? No hands were raised. This is going downhill quick. I'm telling you, you're not rejoining the fun until you apologize first to me. And and this went on for a long time. Our grandchildren have strong wills. Did not get that from my side of the family. Don't know where that came from. And they stood there in defiance. And once they realized that their quiet nature was not going to be rewarded with the end of this episode, began to think, there's another nature in me that I'm about to let out. And it became a very loud nature, flailing nature, kicking nature. And it was like, okay, Dad, I will embarrass you until you drop this issue. You're not rejoining the festivities until you apologize. And this went on for a long time, of which all the festivities got really, really quiet in the other room because we were all like, what's good? Who's going to win this one? Ultimately, our almost perfect grandchild became more holy And finally, with great sobs, how many of you know that sometimes when you release something that you have held on to that has been an attitude, it comes with great emotion? With great sobs, begin to recognize these are the values of my family, and my father is not going to let me get away with this. And then came the sob, and then came the apology. I'm not sure it was real, but the words were there. How many of you know sometimes we have a standoff with God as it relates to our attitude? And we begin to tell God, I've got the right to this attitude. And frankly, God, it might just be your fault because you're the one that put me in this circumstance. And God stands there and says, you're not, you're not going to be happy and content until you release that bitterness that you have been hanging on to for so long. And then I'll take the cap off and you can begin to grow. But attitudes have consequences. And some of you have these repeating patterns of behavior and destructive attitudes. And some of it, it's been repeating in your family for generations. And some of your homes and your marriages and your jobs are are suffering the consequences because you refuse to be disciplined by the Lord. You stand with your arms crossed in front of Him and you're holding on to an attitude 
And God says, if you will just let me transform you, there's blessing on the other side of this discipline. But right now, your attitude is infecting those places that God wants to lead you to, and you are living an unblessable life. You are living a life that cannot enter into ministry and cannot do what God wants to lead you into because you have capped your life with an attitude that you have told the Lord, I will remain undisciplined in this. And because of your stubbornness, you refuse to let the discipline of the Lord correct you, and you constantly face the consequences of your rebellious attitude. It goes on to say in verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Do you notice that word? Discipline is painful. For those of you that thought living a life with Christ would be without pain, the Bible is telling you you're wrong. Living a life under the guidance and loving hands of the Lord, there's going to be pain involved in the discipline. But later on, how many of you know perspective is a great thing? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those that have been trained by it. In other words, you've come to the place where I am sorry. I will yield to the values of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And God wants to deal with the attitude because he knows it will be lived out in a behavior. And if he disciplines us, that behavior will change and he trains us. In James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil. In other words, you are constantly in a state of life of you're submitting or you're resisting. And you choose who you're submitting to and you choose who you resist. You will submit to somebody and you will resist someone. And a bad attitude opens the door for the devil's influence within your life. Our attitudes have consequences. God will react to us differently based on our attitude. Let me give you an example from Scripture. There's a story in the Bible. It's right at the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Two brothers that came and brought an offering to God. Abel's offering reflected his love and respect for God and his humility before the Lord, and it was accepted. And Cain's offering reflected his arrogant attitude, and, his and it was rejected by God. And it tells us in Genesis 4, verses 5 and 7, And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain developed a bad attitude and got very angry, and his face was downcast. See, there it is. The, the inward emotion finds its expression in a, facial, in a facial demonstration. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I, I can just picture a parent here having brought correction to their children, and their face is down, and they're looking at like, why are you angry? And he says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you did what was right, it would have been acceptable. But you didn't do what was right. And sin is crouching at the door and desires to have you, but you must master it. Right there at the beginning, there's an attitude by which God can bless and an attitude by which God can go no further. It has consequences. So you can choose to master our attitudes or our choosing our attitude will also help us choose the outcomes. Good attitude brings God's loving blessing. Bad attitude brings the discipline of the Lord and consequences. And you determine that. In fact, I read this and I jotted it down because it was so good. Attitude is more important than aptitude in being successful in life and godliness. 
In James 1, 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith brings perseverance. Every one of us will face difficulties in life, but our attitude will either help us climb above them or we will crash land with a bad attitude. But we get to choose it. Thirdly, attitudes have influence. You may ask, what, what does my attitude have influence in? There are people whose attitudes influence our perspective. Attitudes influence our perspective. There are people who are always happy regardless of the circumstances they find them. I love people like that. Those are the people that you're drawn to. That when you see them, and it doesn't matter what they're going through. In fact, I've visited people in the hospital. They're going through terrible things. And I walk out of there thinking, I came to minister to them. And I'm walking out going, I'm blessed. Man, I... I that was fantastic. My soul's been encouraged because they have chosen an attitude understanding that their attitude affects the perspective of everybody else that comes in contact with them. And understanding that, they dive into everything that God has for them. And they're always happy. There's also other people who it doesn't matter what's going on in their life, they are always unhappy. There are some people that like crisis. They live in it. They thrive in it. I think partly because that's where they get all their attention from. And they begin to recognize that if I'm not in crisis, nobody's going to care. Have a good attitude and see how many people care. But there are people that are just generally unhappy all the time. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned... Did you notice he learned? Which means that he had to constantly come before the Lord for the Lord to uncap his attitude so that he could grow to the next level. For I have learned to be content... Whatever the circumstances. And then he concludes in verse 13 by saying, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In other words, my attitude determines my ability to minister and be ministered to. My attitude determines that. It influences my perspective. How many of you are old enough to remember a comedian by the name of Carol Burnett? Some of you. Now, I'm almost 60, so I can say this now. I remember that this was one of the few TV shows my mom and dad would let us watch together as a family because we laughed our heads off. Tim Conway was a riot, and it was clean. And so I didn't know until much, much later that this funny, funny lady had a very, very tragic past. Carol was born into a home of two alcoholic parents, parents who were incapable of caring for her, so they shipped her off to a very, very destitute and poor grandmother, in fact, Carol never slept in a bed as a child. She always had to sleep on the only couch that was in the house. She studied for school by going into the bathroom and putting the toilet lid down and sitting on the toilet and turning on the one light that worked in the house, which was in the bathroom. And she studied there every night. But she chose at a very young age that she would have an attitude of happiness and an attitude of joy. And she influenced millions of people there's no telling how many millions have laughed at her and seen her as she tugged an ear, giving all these... But she chose to have an attitude because she knew that attitudes influence people's perspectives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18 says, Be joyful always. How many of you know that joy and happiness are not the same thing? Joy and happiness are not the same thing. So the Bible commands us, he says, Be joyful 
always. In other words, there's an attitude that we can have because Christ lives within us that can elevate our nature above the circumstance. So whatever you may be going through, the scripture says to you, your attitude is going to affect the perspective. So be joyful always. Pray continually. If you want to complain, go ahead and complain in prayer to God. It's not going to scare him. David did it all the time in the Psalms. I loved David's reality as he, you know, he comes in there, you know, God, would you knock the teeth out of the lion? You know, and by the time you get to the end of the chapter, his, his attitude has changed because he's poured it out in a healthy place. And he says, but not my will, your will be done. You know, Lord, okay, I love him. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Some will influence others with their happiness, and others will choose unhappiness, and you will infect others with your unhappiness. So what are you doing today? Listen to this. Happiness cannot be traveled to, it cannot be owned, it can't be earned, it cannot be worn, and it cannot be consumed. Happiness is the spiritual experience of living every minute with love and grace and gratitude. Thankful that we have been redeemed children of God. My future and my eternity have been changed and it doesn't matter what happens to me here. I know what's happening in the future and I will live joyfully. And lastly, attitudes influence the circumstances. Some people, listen very, very closely to this. Some people believe that if they had better circumstances, they would have a better attitude. And here's the way that comes out. God, you know I got a bad attitude, but if you would just change this, if you just answer this prayer, if you just give me more money, a better job, a better spouse, better kids, better, 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 then you would watch my attitude blossom. I would change. I would, Mr. and Miss Congeniality, I would. It's all there for me if you would just change my circumstances. And I'm going to say something that's going to shock you. Probably not. You wouldn't be any happier with changed circumstances because it's not, it's not a circumstances issue. It's an attitude issue. You see, Adam and Eve were created perfect people, lived in a perfect paradise, and they were ungrateful and rebellious. If they couldn't pull that off with a good attitude, what chance do we have without Jesus? David wrote in Psalm 34, 1, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. And then he says this, Let the afflicted or those with bad attitude in my life circle hear me and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. In other words, I want you to know that I know that my attitude can affect those with a bad attitude. So I'm going to be a praiser. And if you come in with that, that bad mojo, I'm praising because my praise is going to infect you. And after a while, your attitude will change because I'm not going to be conformed to the mold of your life. I'm going to be praiseworthy of the one who has changed mine. So he knew he understood that his attitude would positively affect those around him. And then I want to read a passage to you out of Habakkuk. And as I do so, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would prepare communion, begin to prepare to distribute it. I'm reading Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, and I'm reading this out of the Message Bible because I love the wording of it. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, Though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless 
and the cattle barn's empty, I'm singing praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and I gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I am king of the mountain. Tell me something. Is that not an attitude that says the circumstances surrounding me will not determine the attitude by which I approach God? I want him to take the cap off the attitude that I've got and begin to allow me to begin to grow to new levels because my attitude affects my journey. And some of you, your journeys have been stunted as a result of that. It is not about if you, have a, you would have a better situation that your attitude would be better. It's about finding God's perspective in whatever circumstance you're in. As the elements are being distributed, I want you to know that if you're a guest here today, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, if, if you believe that He's the Son of God and has died for you and you have received Him, then you are welcome to participate in communion with us today. But God wants to change your perspective and by doing so, change your attitude. And I want to conclude with a, a story that demonstrates this that we are all aware of but maybe haven't looked at it this way. Paul and Silas were doing the will of the Lord. They were ministering in Philippi. And as they're ministering, there is a, a demon-possessed girl that is following them and is just really causing them trouble. So being that they were full of the Holy Spirit and the power of God, they turned around and they delivered this slave girl. Demons left her. She became in her right mind. It really ticked off the slave girl's owners because she was their way of making money. And so they took Paul and Silas and threw them in prison. How many of you ever felt punished for doing the right thing? Have any of you ever felt that? Does it make you as mad as it makes me? Have any of you ever gone to God and say, see what I got for doing the right thing? Paul and Silas could easily have adopted that attitude. Father, you told us to go and do miracles in your name, and we did. And we got thrown in prison for doing the right thing. And in verse 24 of Acts 16, it says, Upon receiving such orders, the jailer put them in the inner cell. It wasn't good enough to be in the outer cell. They had to go to the inner cell and fasten their feet in the stocks. Verse 25 says, About midnight. Now let me tell you something about this. The timing of this is very important. And, and, and while things are being distributed, please don't let your attention wander. About midnight, it says. Some of you are living in a midnight hour. It's always the darkest at midnight. It always seems as if nothing is going to get better at midnight. It's at midnight when you're awake and you're wondering, why can't I sleep? And the thoughts are, are battling back and forth within you. It's at midnight. And so I find it interesting that the scripture said it was at midnight on the worst day that they can imagine, having been put in prison for doing the right thing. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Here's what I like, because if I was in prison and I was in stocks and I'm praying and singing hymns, I probably am singing in a voice that maybe only I can hear. But it says they sang in such a way that the other prisoners listened to them. I hope they had good voices, because they were singing loud. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open 
and everybody's chains came loose. Their joy in an unfair circumstance by refusing to have a bad attitude set everybody else free. Did you see that? In their midnight hour when they were most discouraged and depressed, thinking nothing's ever going to change, they sang out loud and said, I refuse to let the circumstances of my imprisonment affect my attitude, and so I am singing praises to the Lord loud enough that every other prisoner could hear. And the other prisoners who were also in captivity felt the earthquake and their chains broke, and the jail door swung open. Everybody was set free because their attitude changed the circumstances.